And welcome to the episode 47 of the Worldwide Chelsea Pod. Boy, do we have a special one for you guys today. I'm your host, Matt, at MattJBall98, and I'm here to welcome three guests of us today. First of all, from India, I welcome back Arrow. How are you, my friend? I've been okay, depending on the result, because apart from Chelsea, it's all been great, but Chelsea's been letting me down time and time again this year. So yeah, I've been getting by. How's everything in your end? Uh, everything's much better now with student life, but unfortunately Chelsea's the one that's letting me down. Um, so going back now to our next guest, next from Bahrain, we welcome back Ali. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great, man. Uh, it's been a minute since I've been on the podcast, so it's uh, good to be back. Yeah, it's glad to have you back on. Always miss having you guys on. And finally, we'll come to our special guest of the day. Apart from our resident guest, Mike, he's probably one of the most positive and most rational people on Twitter today, with a booming following count, growing every day, from Australia. RJ, how are you doing? Well, what an introduction. Thank you, Matt. And how are we, guys? Just wanted to say I'm really honoured and privileged to be invited to be a special guest participant. How am I going? Well, not too bad. However, we could be doing a lot better if our mighty blues were a little bit more mightier, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you looked at, if, if you compared us to the Lions as we would be, we're like a little cub right now rather than the mighty roar. So we need to, <laughs> we need to step, right step like it up. We're not even the lion, if I'm honest. We're like the gazelle that's getting hunted nah, down. We're the kittens. We're the house cats. The tame ones. Oh, God. No, right, we need to improve. Anyway, so first topic of the day, we'll speak about the uh, game against Leicester. Obviously, we'll go on it quite quick because it was very terrible performance i think everyone's gonna have the same opinions but i'll start with you rj what was your general thoughts of the leicester game yeah thanks matt and as i'm sure most if not all chelsea fans we'd agree that we were very underwhelming and right from the outset we looked second best and we could almost argue we were third best even in the sense that we weren't even on the pitch and the moment indeedy's goal went in off the post you could just see a collective dropping of heads. And from that moment on, we never really looked like we were going to get back into it bar one or two half opportunities. So overall, very flat, dismal, diabolical display and something that I'd categorise as one of our worst performances under Frank Lampard. Yeah, I think there was, if I'm honest, I could take nothing really from the game. Like, at least from the... Arsenal games, the Man City games, you could take small positives here and there, no matter how insignificant they may be. But from this game, honestly, for myself, I couldn't take a single bit of positive from it because there was just nothing. It was just void. It may as well have just been Leicester playing against an open goal that was that bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, just, I think, Sorry. yeah, I, I agree, Matt. I just, before we switch it on, I just think, the most disappointing aspect is we've been a team that's under intense scrutiny and this was billed as a game of we've just had a couple of back-to-back wins against Morecambe and Fulham respectively. This was our opportunity then and there to tell the rest of the league we're back, 
that was a minor blip, but we're going to come strong this second half of the season. But the display that they dished up completely contradicted that, and now we find ourselves even under more of the microscope. So that was probably the most disappointing, the mentality element. We just looked very flat and not interested. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it could spell the final nail in the coffin for Lampard after getting them two wins. Obviously, they weren't convincing. One was against Morecambe, and then the other was just a good result, terrible performance. But it, the game needed to this was the game for Lampard to go, right, we've beaten a top table team. We're back. We're going to keep going, and we're going to go into this hard schedule and get as many wins as possible. But now I just don't see how we can get really much from anyone. Um, Arrow, what was your thoughts on the game? Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that, the, I mean, I couldn't take anything from the Arsenal game as well as the Leicester game, because both of them were equally flat performances, equally bad. These uh, against Leicester, we started off well. We actually looked like we were going to score, but then things turned around and DD scored, and then, yeah, like RJ said, we could just see a collective drop of heads and everyone was like here we go again it all started going downhill from there and just kept going down and down and nothing improved we just don't seem to have a philosophy right now because we just go through to the wings uh the midfielders pass to chilwell chilwell then looks to cross and if he doesn't see a cross he just goes back back to the midfield, who just goes back to Thiago Silva, and then Kurzuma, and this just cycles around. We just don't seem to find passes straight to the runners, because I have seen players make runs. Timo Warner, when he's played, he just keeps making runs, but no one seems to pick him out. Even Tammy Abraham tries to make runs, but no one seems to pick them out. Just once we saw Mason Mount pick out that hudson Doy cross, uh, that outfield diagonal pass that we saw against, uh, I think, in the Champions League. But apart from that, I don't see many good passes. And Ziyech did one against Mokham, but that was just Mokham. We just can't put it up as a good performance. It's a four-tier team. What do you expect? So, yeah, against anyone good, we don't see anything. At least uh, Leicester was going top of the table when they were beating us. Arsenal was in the second half and we couldn't do anything against them. So I just lost hope from there on. We haven't had a single good performance since, what, the 4th of December? And it's just been going down. We're at ninth right now and there is no way back. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the problem I have is like, if players were trying audacious passes and missing and then that was the reason we were losing, I'd respect it more because at least you're trying to do these passes. But losing in the way we are, doing the simple passes all the time, it just frustrates me even more than what it would the other way. Um, it just I, seems like we have no philosophy. We just keep passing back or just try cross and it's like cross and inshallah, that, as they say on Twitter. So that's it. With we, we just cross and hope that someone finds a tap in or. I don't know, we just keep hoping for something to happen, a miracle to happen, like we saw Mount score a screamer that day, or a volley. So, we just can't rely on someone to pick us up every single time, every single game. Yeah, I just don't know what's changed between now and last season, because last season, I, I know we weren't 
fantastic, but we weren't this bad in terms of philosophy. There was something there that wasn't just cross the ball every five minutes. I know we had we a lot of We weren't creating teams. as well. I mean, yeah, we the weren't creating, but we were at least... last season, the worst part was creativity, and nothing's changed this season. It's been getting worse. Yeah, but even then, we weren't just trying to cross the ball last season. We was trying to do different things, but we just physically couldn't do it. Now we've got the players that are supposedly able to do it, and all we do is cross, which doesn't. Un- I just don't understand how it's got worse. I just don't understand what we have to do to get a win or create chances or score a goal. Yeah, it just feels like with Chelsea, there's a goal's not coming at all, ever. Exactly. So, um, Ali, I'll move on to you. How are you feeling about the game? Um, that was really bad, wasn't it? Um, the, the players looked very... Um, every player seemed lost on the pitch whenever something went wrong or whenever something is going wrong right now. Um, the shoulders just slump and, and you don't really see a reaction uh, from the players. And in terms of tactics that day, um, when I saw that lineup, I was I was uh, cautiously optimistic. But then during the game, um, that midfield looked uh, non-existent. Um, we were getting turned on the counter very easily. Uh, if Vardy was in the mood that day, it could have been four or five that we've even conceded. Um, and whenever we looked like doing something. It, it would, something would just go against us. Like I think um, that Pulisic foul that was called for a penalty, um, and then VAR overturned that. And as well, like when Werner scored that that goal, and then it turned out to be offside. It's just it just sums up everything that we're going through right now. Um, nothing is going our way, you know. Um, so yeah, let's see uh, the reaction today. Uh, from the team, even uh, even though we're supposed to uh, win this comfortably, I hope. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, today, again, today's game. It's like Morecambe. You're expected to win this. He, this team shouldn't be. They should be winning this game comfortably. So even if we do win three, four, one, like we did against Morecambe, we're going to go into the Wolves game asking the same questions. And I. I know Wolves ain't playing well right now, but I just don't see how we beat Wolves in the way we're playing. I think, if anything, the game we played against Wolves in December was probably... They're going to do better than that. They're going to beat us more than that. At least in that game, we had a bit of control at times and then just cocked it up at the end. But this time, I just I hey, you see know us getting battered again. You know what's the funny thing? That Wolves have been in such bad form even before our game. They were, uh, I think they've won like a couple of points out of uh, 12 or whatever. And then they kept on going uh, in the same direction after our game. And our our game was the only win that they've had in nine or 10 games. Um, <laughs> so exactly. everybody's just looking. So everybody's just looking at our picture right now and, and just licking their lips, you know, just waiting for, for that chance to, to pounce upon. Um, yeah, and even the Burnley game now, we, we were thinking, oh, that might be the easier one out of all of them. But they've just gone and beat Liverpool now, so they've got all the confidence in the world coming into our game. But it's so still it's just, Burnley. Yeah, exactly. um, I mean, yeah. Burnley is the only team I feel confident against each and every game. But Wolves, they must be smacking their lips. They must be like, yeah, this is our chance to go get up and get us three points. 
if I'm honest, I'm, I'm worried about today's game, let alone Burnley. That's how, <laughs> that, that's how not confident I am about this this team putting in a I mean, performance. by the strength of the team that we'll see today, uh, you will see that Lampard isn't confident as well. Like we weren't against Mockham. Look at, did you see the team that was feeling against Mockham? Yeah, I, he, just, he needs to do it though. He needs to get something out of the players. And I think he's trying to get something out of the players, but I just don't think the players are taking notice of it anymore. Uh, well, now that Arsenal's out of the FA Cup, we might as well give, this, give it a try. That's our only chance of a silverware. It is our only chance. I mean, we're not going to beat Atletico Madrid. It was, was oh, going to be. A, it was. It was oh, going to be a hard. It was going to be a hard game. In good form. We can't create chances against game. Fulham, let alone against Atletico Madrid. Yeah, but um, we're going to move on to the next topic. Uh, it's going to be a bit of an open topic, so I'll let you guys all speak. Uh, have a little debate between yourselves because I know you guys are all going to have a bit different views on this. It's going to be Lampard in, Lampard out. Should he have gone after the Leicester game? I'll start with RJ can open this up. Yeah, it's a loaded question, man. And and I've said this many times on Twitter and to other friends and family on different pods, etc. I'm fully aware... I have a strong Lampard bias, and I make no apologies for that. He's what he's done for the club, and what I'll caveat my next point with is that Chelsea has an expectation for instant success, and rightfully so because of the club we are. The point I'm making is that the irony is Lampard was crucial to establishing the club who we are today. In other words. If he doesn't have the successful career in, from a playing point of view, us fans today might not necessarily have the same demand for instant success because we're not the same super club we are today. So it's quite an ironic situation that Lampard now, as a manager, finds himself under the firing line, in the firing line, when he was actually part of the making of the club we are. So I'm a Lampard in person. And it's not just out of pure sentiment. Part of it is sentiment, but the other part is for two things. Reason one, I still believe that assessing his overall time managing the club has yielded positive success. He took us during a difficult transition period, losing our best player in a transfer ban to exceed expectations to get fourth spot and was unlucky to lose the FA Cup semi the actual FA Cup final. Also, he was crucial to helping get those key signings of the long-term future Blues, and they've said, in quotes, that he was core to them joining the club. So I do think he's part of a long-term project, and while we have had some very bad results lately, I'm not sure that that's warranted enough in itself to pull the pin on him at this point. That said, though... I would look at it in terms of give him to the end of the season. And if it doesn't hit the objectives, I'm pretty sure he's a pretty self-accountable guy. And I think he'll make the right decision on his own. So that's my thoughts on it, guys. Yeah. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Uh, I agree a bit with RJ here. Because I, too, like RJ, have a Lampard bias. I did see... Lampard 
taking us through trophies after trophy. Uh, I still remember the time when Lampard scored at Brace to get us the first Premier League in 50 years against Bolton. So yeah. those are moments I just can't forget. And then that night against Barcelona at Camp Nou when he pinged that ball for Ramirez. And that was the beginning of the comeback. So what he's done for us, I can never forget that. And I just can't lose respect just because he's not managing us that well, which is a bit of ironical because he did come to us sooner than he should have, in my opinion, because he just started his career and Chelsea is a huge club. So you need to know how to exactly manage players as well as your tactics. So putting that all those things into account, I think at least Lampard deserves till the end of the season to get us through. Uh, I mean, top four is crucial, don't get me wrong. I would want top four. I I don't want to be next season without the Champions League place. And, of course, an FA Cup win would be great as well. But looking at our track record in the past, when we have just let managers go left, right and center every single time when players don't start performing, uh, I think, realistically, there is a chance that Lampard might be sad. So, in that scenario, there's only one person I would look towards, and that's Julian Nagelsmann. So, Nagelsmann would be the only choice for me. I don't want uh, Allegri, I do not want Tuchel, and I most certainly do not want Husenhauder. So, if Lampard goes, it's only Nagelsmann for me. Because uh, I like the way he plays. He sets up his team in a 4-4-2, but not in a typical 4-4-2, but rather a 4-2-2-2 with two holding midfielders and double pivot and two wingers and two strikers playing off each other. Because I think we have the personnel to play his tactics right now. And that would be the perfect fit right now if Lampard is let go off. Yeah, I think one thing I just try and question you on I, I do think Nagelsmann is probably my top one of my top targets in terms of if Lampard goes who do we bring in but my question to you is will, will Nagelsmann is still I know he's had games at Leipzig but he's still an unex, relatively unexperienced manager he still um, is going to need to build something at this club because I think in my opinion I don't think these squad of players are fit to anything right now anyone right now they're not fit for a counter-attacking style they're not fit for a possession style they're just a lot of them are very incapable and I think a lot of them need to move on so the Nagelsmann is a guy that's going to need time will our board and fans give him time uh, I'd like to beg to differ on the experience standpoint because Lampard has had only one season in a championship team to manage before managing Chelsea and Nagelsmann was managing Hoffenheim uh, when he was around 26 or 27 years old. So he's more of a manager than a player, rather than Lampard's career, which is he was primarily a player and then got into coaching. So Nagelsmann has had experience uh, with Hoffenheim and then Leipzig, and then he has experience in the Champions League as well, which is pretty vital. Because Lampard has had only experience in the Championship, whereas he has championship as well as Champions League experience yeah but I'd argue that 
for one, he's kept in that Bundesliga structure, so he's it's not like he's seen multiple leagues and is able to adapt to multiple leagues. For two, ten years, yes, it's a it's much more experience than that than that comparing to Lampard, but still in terms of a manager's lifespan, it is still a class as a very inexperienced manager. And I think again with the players that we've got, it's gonna take time I mean, for them I think, to I think with the players that we got, I think Nagelsmann could do something with them because it's not like uh, Nagelsmann had star-studded teams in Hoffenheim or Leipzig. He built that Leipzig team himself and made it work. Even this season, after he lost most of his key players, mo- most notably Warner to us, he's still getting on and still getting by pretty well. But then I'd argue that he's built a Leipzig team without the pressure. Because there is not the pressure at Leipzig is not the pressure that you'd get at Chelsea. Uh, He kind of has a team already built up for him this season. I think, according to his tactics, we have got the personnel. He doesn't have to bring in too many players. He just has to make them work uh, through his tactics. Get him under their philosophy. I think... I think you make some good points listening to this. And one thing that struck me, and I think it applies to not just Nagelsmann, but the hypothetical question of who would who would come in and help us get back on the right track. And the question I would pose is, what guarantee do we have that bringing someone in mid-season in a team that's low on confidence is all of a sudden going to be able to transform us and get points quickly? So... We have these couple of good managers that have been touted, Tuchel, Nagelsmann, Allegri, etc. But these managers, like every manager, is going to need time to build their squad and philosophy and shape tactics. But whoever comes in, unfortunately, doesn't have the luxury of time. So that also partially influences my decision of, is now such a sensible time to get rid of Lampard? knowing that you're just going to throw the next manager immediately under the bus because they don't have time. We're in a crisis situation. So is now is now the smartest time to even consider that. So that's just something else to add into the mix that whoever comes in, A, there's no guarantee that they're going to improve things, just even if they have 20 times more experience than Lampard, and B, they have next to zero time to implement their ideas, tactics, relationship management. At the end of the day, these are human beings. So it's not just black and white that we can pick a more decorated manager and they're just going to come in and solve all our problems instantly. I think that's a bit naive. So I just wanted to throw that to you guys as well. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I do know one that brought gone this season. I just know that it is a possibility. And in case he gets sacked, Nagelsmann is the one I would like to go with. But according to me, Lampard should not be sad. He should be given at least until the end of the season. I do not want an interim manager to come in. And it is going to be an interim manager. Because right now, you won't get the likes of Nagelsmann. And even if you get Tuchel in, they won't be prepared to get a team mid-season without the luxury of time. 100%. Yeah, yeah Ali, what do you think? I mean, I love Lampard. He's the biggest reason um, for me to support Chelsea. And uh, he's been a big factor in this club's success. But I've always said this, even before he was appointed, that try to differentiate um, 
Lampard the player and Lampard the manager. I'd only judge him as a manager, even though I'd, I'm I'm so grateful for everything he's done for the club. But let's let's try to um, differentiate between the two. And from what I've seen, even though he did a great job last season getting into the top four, um, he got us into the FA Cup final. Um, but even even getting into the top four, it wasn't uh, very convincing. We uh, we left it until the last match day. And um, I think we finished on 63 or 64 points, which was the lowest uh, point tally um, for a while for a team that finished in the top four. So even then, it wasn't really convincing. But it was, it was still much better than, than what we've been, we've been playing this year. Um, it just, I feel like, like we've actually uh, regressed this season. Um, I mean, even the stats, stats show that as well. So I'd, I'd, I'd give him time if there was something um, or a system like that can back it up and the football would at least look convincing. But for me right now, this is some of the worst football that we've played um, in a long, long time, in my opinion. And I'm not sure he can he can turn this around. Um, I mean, I'd love for him to, to turn this around, but it doesn't look very promising right now. And um, I mean, in terms of getting the next manager, and I'd also want Julian Nagelsmann um, to take to take that uh, coaching role here at the club. But also, I feel like he's a he's a bit inexperienced. I'd I'd love for him to come in in, in let's say two years, for example. But uh, I'm not quite sure he'll be available in two years. Maybe another big club would, would take him uh, by then. Um, and I think maybe for, for the interim manager, we can get uh, Ralph Rangnick, who's uh, a big, big uh, uh, character in German football. And he was one of the main reasons um, that we have pressing, high-pressing football. And he was the, one of the founders of this. And he's also been part of the Red Bull Academy, um, where so many managers are coming out right now, uh, like Hazen Hutel, um, Nagelsmann himself, um, who else? Jesse Marsh, who's doing a great job at, at, at Salzburg right now. And maybe after he's done with this interim role, at the end of the season, we um, evaluate and see if, if he's done a good job, then maybe, I don't know, give him the part or if we can get Nagelsmann in and then give uh, Rangnick the director of football part two so he can work with uh, Peter Cech. Yeah, I think in terms of the uh, Ralph Rangnick going to director of football, I think with realistically with Cech and Marina, I don't think there really is a space that he'd be able to fit. But it, would, it wouldn't... It's probably in terms of a plan if we were to sack Lampard. That's probably the best plan I've heard from everyone else I think um, and it's a plan that I would go for it's just whether what Ralph Ragnick would take the job for just the interim that's my worry is what if he goes no I don't want the interim job I want it for permanent would you want Ralph as a manager permanently um I mean he's, he's got the experience and, and he's worked with Werner as well before and he got the best out of him um but yeah, I'm not quite sure if I'd want him on full-time. Um, but you've not really got 
many options at the moment. And I would have been in favor of Pochettino as well, but uh, he's, he's gone to PSG now and, and we've missed out on him. So, yeah, you, you've not really got many options. I mean, if the club wanted to hire Tuchel, um, he'd probably be at the club already. But he's been warned off before. Um, he's always had this, these problems with the management. I mean, he's, he's a top coach, but if he's not going to get along with management, then, then, then there's all the, always just one end result at Chelsea if you don't get along with management, and that's, that's getting the sack. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much uh, what I think of the current situation. Yeah, I think I agree with you to a point. I think that is the problem for me. I am, in terms of my own opinion, I think that Lampard, he, I don't think he is the right man to take us forward right now. I think, for one, I think he's just not ready. I think he was probably never ready, but because we loved him so much, we all wanted him to succeed so badly and just forgot the idea that he was only manager for a season before coming to the job. And exactly. I think I think for me, if Lampard went away now, maybe did a Steven Gerrard and went to a lower league like a Rangers or someone like that, built his trade, come to a lower league Premier League team or someone else or French team or German team, made, made his craft, built a philosophy and in 10 years we need a manager and Frank's available and he's ready, I would be happy to welcome him back if he's ready because I think he can still do something very great for the club, but he's just frankly not ready. It's like taking, it's like if you took Pep Guardiola in his second season of management, he would be probably just as bad as what Lampard has, but 10 years time when he's at Barcelona and done well, he's flying. But um, so you need, there is that idea. You just need to, we we have I think we pushed the button too early and I understand the reasons why we pushed the button and we were kind of forced to do it. It was the only option. But it's just very frustrating. I don't this is why I'm for me, I think I Lampard should probably go if I'm being very harsh about it. But I look at who's gonna replace him and I don't see anyone. I don't think I don't want to call anyway. I think it will just be Antonio Conte part two, but without the actual world-class part about it. I think I don't rate him as a manager. I think he's very, he's one of these trendy managers that people are on the high about him right now, but I don't think he's actually that great. I think he's going to fall out with the board and then it was going to be the same thing as we had with Conte all over again. I don't think he'd take the interim job anyway. I think he'd want it permanently. Uh, same with Ralph Ragnick. I think, We've got more of a chance of getting him on an interim, but I don't think he's going to come. I've heard people say Shevchenko, Avram Grant, Rafa Benitez, all three of them are just not even on the table for me. That if we, I'd rather keep Lampard because they're not going to do anything in the, in the next until the end of the season for me. They're not going to create a reaction. The games we've got coming up, you've got Atletico Madrid, United, Liverpool. That's no way to put a new manager in. They're not going to get anything out of that. So if we yeah. haven't got anyone to bring in, why not just let Lampard to the end of the season, see what he does. If we're out of Champions League, it is what it is. I mean, as me and Marv would both say, champ top four isn't a trophy. So if we're not going to win the league, Champions League, all it is is for money and the actual 
uh, idea of being in the competition. But we need to think about this wisely. We can't go into sacking Lampard and then get another insignificant manager that's going to be gone within a year and a half. And then we're going to be back on this same podcast talking about the same stuff. I think we've got to be smart because I think, in my opinion, the board hasn't made any smart decisions since 2017. And that's why we're in this situation. Hey, Matt, can I just add as well with Lampard, because I know you mentioned he, if he possibly he goes away, gets some more experience, then comes back, he can do something great with Chelsea. I suppose the positive element where I come in is I would posit that he has already done something pretty good for us in the sense he took us during the arguably our most difficult transition period in many years to help us cement a Champions League spot, which was pivotal for us to buy the next generation of long-term blues. So regardless of what happens from now to the end of the season, Frank Lampard, the Chelsea manager, has already had a defining role to help shape the trajectory of the next five, ten years of the club. But also I'd say, and it's not an excuse, but it's more offering perspective, is that Lampard this time round has had the difficult job of trying to integrate a handful or so of new players during a season with no pre-season in a COVID environment with some of those players on and off injury, having to adjust to a new country, also being very young for the most part. So I'd like, I, I suppose what I'm saying is I wonder had the situation or the season been a standard one, would we be seeing the same topsy-turvy results? And obviously we can't compare that, but it's just a, a point of perspective I'd offer. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's just hard because there isn't, for me, there is no one to get us out of this situation. So I think it's one of them things. I think the board are thinking that they've not gone right, we've got to sack him and just got anyone in. They're looking and thinking, right, who can we get in to make this season better? And I think they're struggling for options. And I think that's why they're, to what some people would say, stalling at the moment, because they don't really know what to do. I mean, when they say that we didn't have a preseason to integrate the players, but it's already Mm. been like, uh, what, five months into the season already? Because... It was understandable at the beginning of the season when players came in new and we couldn't integrate them well. Players were not gelling. They couldn't find each other. They didn't buy into the philosophy or try to gel in the tactics. But it's already been quite a long time. So by now we should have been getting a better result than before rather than the inverse of it, which we are seeing right now. Because we have been struggling off late. We were good. We were getting results. We were creating chances. And at one point, we had scored the most goals in the league. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I think the the issue, the thing I'd bring up is to counter that. I think when pe- when I would talk about lack of preseason, the aim of preseason is to you have five or six matches to build up fitness, but you also build up any new players coming in to build the system and at least have a starting point when you get onto the season. Now, obviously, we haven't had that, and because there's such so many games coming thick and fast, 
train even in the small bit of training you have in between games you're not really working so much on that you're more working on getting the players tactically ready for the next game getting the players back fitness you've got rest days in between and there isn't really much time to work on that philosophy so I think that's where I would come from I get the idea that um, every other team's had the same situation but then the argument I'd flip on that is not every team has signed six or seven first team players into the team exactly exactly and also adding to that is that even though we had signed these players at what point did we see all of these players on the pitch at the same time? Meaning Ziyech got injured in the in the one preseason game we did have. Pulisic had injuries. Kai Havertz had COVID nineteen, which has obviously affected his ability, and he hasn't been the since uh, quite as strong as he showed in the early stages. So I think Lampard hasn't really, until just very recently, been able to call upon his full complement of players. So now I'm expecting. Now that we have these players back, we're slowly going to start to see them showing something positive because for even during the good run, we were, we were doing well without a couple of key players missing. But obviously during that November, December period, the return of Ziyech was quite key for us from a creativity standpoint. So I just think I'm keen to see now that we do have that complement of players back, with the exception of Kante's niggly injury, what can we do going forward now? Because I think Lampard is running out of excuses and that context we mentioned earlier starts to fade away more and more. But I'm just always conscious about how reactionary or time-sensitive matters are. So I just think let's be measured and patient, but our board obviously is notoriously known to be the opposite of that. So it'll be interesting indeed to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think, for, for me, I think Lampard has three games left. And if he doesn't get results on this, I think the board, they're going to be at that point where they're just going to be forced to bite the bullet. And I, I just hope they don't bite the bullet and just get a two-call in because I think that is, a, for me, a recipe for disaster, especially if he's here on a permanent. I think, for me, it would be another failed... Um, decision that they've made at this club and it, it it's it'd be very frustrating to see our club go through the same violent circle over and over again and just not seeing any progression I mean I feel like since 2016-17 when we won the league we've slipped further and further away from the league ever since we've, even with new managers we've not got any closer to winning the league and I think that's a fundamental problem with doing this manager every other season because if we're not getting close to the league and we're slipping further and further away then that's just it's just going to it's just going to be a recipe for disaster for us mm. anyone got any thoughts on that i think is just quickly and i'm mindful there's others here that probably have some much smarter and insightful opinions than myself but I think also externally from Chelsea is that the talent pool across the league has increased and I feel that the level of competition has intensified and therefore that makes it difficult for then us as fans to accept that yes we've made some big investments 
we're Chelsea, we're a massive club, we're one of a few of the bigger clubs, but some of these smaller clubs or these mid-table teams, they've really bridged the gap now. And I think we're seeing a lot more level playing field. And you mix that in with a COVID season, what I'm getting at is that the inconsistency has become the new consistency and that this league is generally becoming probably the most balanced across the board. So I think that just adds to that dynamic of we do have high expectations, but we should also appreciate that this is a very difficult competition and anybody on their day can cause a shock result. Yeah, I think what I'd like kind of compare between now and 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we had two or three teams at best challenging for four positions, challenging for the league. And it was one of the things you could switch. The players we had, we had players that had an elite mentality, a good spine to the team, and they could work with any manager. The players, in a way, would almost play themselves, and you were able to go from third to first quite relatively easily because the gap was small and then the gap was so big compared to everyone else. But nowadays, there are six to seven teams fighting for one spot. All right, Liverpool did run away with it last year, but... Generally, I've seen it get the gap get closer and closer and closer. And I think this is the problem where we keep dropping out of Europe because there are so many teams. And now there's so many teams improving. So many teams have got similar money with the financial fair play that quality players are being brought into the league. And there are there is no two or there is no conventional top six anymore, in my opinion, I think. If you were to say a conventional top six, I'd put Leicester in it right now because they're consistently showing that they're able to fight for top six. Wolves are starting to show that. Obviously, I know they've gone off the boil recently, but Wolves are a good team and they can show that. Everton may start going into that bracket. And you've got to look at it. If you're not careful and you'll keep doing this recycled managers that are not working, we're just going to completely fall out of it in general. and We're going to be stuck into these mid-table teams. So I think we've just got to think carefully of what decisions we make in the future yeah i agree with that because it used to be 10 years ago or 10 15 years ago it used to be the big four with chelsea arsenal and united and liverpool then it became the big six because we had men city getting into the foil as well winning lots of titles and trophies then Tottenham came along as well even though they haven't won anything but at least they have been competing for the top four spot year in, year out. And they also reached the Champions League final, which is not really an achievement, but still, at least they were in the Champions League when we weren't. So, nowadays, the playing field yeah, is quite even. Because every team has a proper squad of players which they can rely on. And Lampard played in a team that had its own spine. Because we knew that whoever the manager was, the players that would start were Jack, Terry, Lampard, Drogba, and Ashley Cole. Those were the ones that were going to start no matter who came in. But nowadays, it's more uh, manager-based because there's no surety in the squad right now that these players are the spine and they are going to start. And they are key to the philosophy of any manager that comes in. We don't have the squad right now. So it's tougher for us to compete with a squad that's had quite a lot of bad decisions coming into it because we have 
been making bad purchases since the last four, five, yeah, four, five years. Because, in my opinion, I don't think we have bought any great player bar this season since the past five, six years. Yeah. I agree. Um, just to move the conversation onto a different topic, we've just had the lineup come out for Luton. Uh, I'll just give you the lineup now. So we've got Kepper in goal, Emerson, Christensen, Zuma, and James in defence. Uh, I don't know whether it's a four-four-two or four-three-three, but we've got Mount, Gilmore, Ziek, Werner, Pulisic, and Abraham. So, what are your instant thoughts on that? I'll start with RJ. Actually, I think it's quite a strong lineup and unsurprising given the circumstances. I also believe Mount has been named captain, and I think he's fully earned that. So good on Mason, and wish him all the best in his captain's role for today. Um, yeah, interesting because obviously you guys are fully aware of all the criticism and commentary regarding the not-so-great formation that's been happening in recent times. So I'm quite keen to see, once they enter the pitch, how they actually line up. thought it might also be a 4-2-2-2, but, um, yeah, quite quite interested, actually. Now it's got me scratching my head thinking, how is this dynamic going to work? I thought hudson Adoy might have gotten a start, but perhaps Frank's just rotating him just so he doesn't overwork him thinking about the Wolves game. But also very happy to see Gilmore get a well-deserved start because I do think he was very unlucky to not least get the action against Fulham or against Leicester. So, yeah, it's, again, a strong lineup, interesting change of formation, but very keen to see us go out there and actually deliver a convincing performance. Yeah, Ali, what do you think of the starting lineup? I mean, it is very strong. For, for the FA Cup. Uh, but I like that. I hope it's the 4-4-2 because I like that formation. Um, it gets the best out of Werner, I think. Um, like we saw last season at Leipzig whenever he played with uh, Poulsen or Patrick Schick up front. Um, I think he's at his best there. He plays off the striker. Um, he drops in a bit deeper. He gets the ball, links up well. And uh, yeah, it's good to see Gilmore as well back in the lineup. Uh, I think he's he's going to be a big part of the future in this club. Uh, but it's sad as well because, you know, I like Jorginho and and it, it, this just shows that there's, I think, uh, no future for him here at the club. And I think it's better if he moves on, if he can even get a club. Uh, in, the next, in the next week, he'll be very tough, but I think in the summer, he'll, he'll be gone. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. I think um, it's a lineup that is very amusing to me to see. It would be interesting to see how they line up. I think within the first five minutes, I'll know how I feel about this lineup, depending on the formation. Arrow, what's your thoughts? I'm quite happy with the lineup right now because the back four was as exactly as I predicted in the preview. And. The formation is either going to be a 4-4-2, which I'm good with, or it's a 4-3-3 with Ziyech as an attacking midfielder, which I wanted as well. So I'm good with this lineup. Let's just hope that everything goes on well and we create some chances, because that's been the key factor. 
creating chances and putting Ziyech somewhere in the middle would help us create some chances while he tries to orchestrate the play. Because on the wings, he gets a little, little bit tied on the wings because he only has an option to create a cross and not many diagonals. So, yeah, it'll be quite interesting to see how uh, Lampard implements this current formation. Is it a 4-4-2 or is it going to be a 4-3-3 or even a 4-2-3-1, which is quite unlikely because I... Yeah, apparently, put, put in apparently it is a 4 2 3 one apparently, with Mountain that's what I've read. Yeah, that, that's what I've read. suggested though. that. Uh, that's too little physicality in the middle of the park. If, if it's 4 2 3 one, I'm, I'm suddenly worried. If it's a 4 4 yeah, 2 I'm happy. I'm worried. That's got me worried as well, if it's a 4 2 3 one because a double pivot of Mount and Billy Gilmore doesn't really reflect confidence on my part. And uh, Werner again on the wing. That's not good for his confidence. Yeah. Like I said, if it's a 4 3 3, Werner is going to be on the left wing anyway. But having Ziyech then on as uh, an attacking midfielder and set up on the right wing would do great. That's what I wanted in the film preview that I did. I wanted Ziyech to play in the middle instead of on the right wing. Yeah, I think. I think. That's what I thought that that he'd be brought in to play as the number ten, not as the right winger when when he was signed earlier on. Yeah, even uh, I thought that because we were discussing it. What I'm hoping yeah, is let's, that let's if, if, if it's yeah, if it's not working out, like as I agree, I'm not I'm not sure I have as little confidence in that pivot as yourselves, but. I do admit if that was the case and as the game unfolds, it's not working out. Another thing that I've been mindful of and I think has some merit behind it is our, or Lampard rather, his inability to proactively make tactical changes in game. So if, if things aren't working out and it's nil all or we're not looking like we're going to score anytime soon, we need him to act fast and make decisive changes, not be so delayed. I think that's a very big point of frustration for us Blues fans. So I just hope that we obviously start off well, get an early goal and put those hopes to bed for, for um, Ludentown. But if it's stretching out in an ill-all game, I want to see some decisive changes made swiftly, not in the 70th minute. What worries me about a double pivot is because we're playing a championship team and championship mm. teams get quite physical. They have the height, they have the physicality and putting two relatively tiny midfielders as your defensive cover in front of the centre-backs is, isn't very wise. I think he might be using that though as, a, as protection for the back four and offering that extra presence in the centre, regardless if it's the profile of the players themselves might not offer that much physicality. So I, I can understand that. But, yeah, again, it just depends on the flow of the game. If we see in the first five minutes that we're getting overrun, I wouldn't expect to be overrun in the midfield. But if we are, I'll be very keen to see how Lampard reacts to that. We won't get overrun in terms of possession, but in terms of long balls, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, I mean... I. My my dad he um he supports a uh, League One team Ipswich and he texted me saying that he's surprised Zerud isn't playing because um, Luton are known to be 
really bad for set pieces. So for me, that puts me an eye up that I understand why Zoom is playing for that aspect, but I hope it's not going to just be constant crosses because they're bad at set pieces in a 4 2 Remember how Leicester were bad at set pieces and they scored against us? Yeah, but I don't expect L- Luton to come up with a set piece like that Everton, uh, like Leicester did. Expect the unexpected. It's a Chelsea thing. Oh, don't, don't, <laughs> don't put into my head that we're gonna lose. But I, yeah, I, I do just think come if, on. if if we're not playing, it might, fourth, might draw fourth, on like till a long stretch going into extra time. But we're not gonna lose this. Hopefully not. I just hope I don't bite my tongue in the end. Uh, I I don't know. I I just get every time I see a lineup, I just get I just look and I'm like, why? Like I, I even now I'm just picking out little things. I'm just ah, oh, I just it just panics know, and frustrates me. The we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be panicking for a looting game. But we like, are. Look at this, look at us. It's like how that far we remember. Look at us. Did ever think we're gonna be here? Look at us. Who who thought? <laughs> Guys, do you want to know something funny? Do you want to know something funny? In in 2015, when we lost that game against Bradford, um, 4-2 in the FA Cup. Um, I don't know if you remember that game. Um, it was it was it was the 24th. It was the 24th of January. Yeah, and today is the 24th of January, and we're playing <laughs> Luton Town. Nice, nice. Let's doesn't repeat itself. Any more foreboding signs that you want to bring to us? I think that that's a pretty big red flag. <laughs> yep. Not Guys. that we were short of red flags right now. <laughs> so we'll get on to the final topic of the day before we get on to the questions for RJ. Um, so it's related to a tweet that I put out about a week ago. It was um, questioning the board in this whole process of um, how over the period of a few years they've made so many difficult, like wrong decisions that have panned out bad for the club. So I'll explain it now. So I started in 2017, they didn't back Conte. And then the world-class manager in Conte left because we pissed him off. We then, to replace Conte, we then hired a mediocre manager in Miritsi Osari, which was again the mistake. They then, because they didn't back Conte and they wanted to seem like they were backing Sari, they gave him all of his targets, whether they would fit the club or not, whether they fit the style or not, without actually looking at how they play, how they would fit into the team. And then within a season, with the tra- uh, the third mistake was illegally breaking rules and giving us a transfer ban whether it was right or not we should have got the transfer ban we've got we had it and that fundamentally whether it was fan fans moaning at sari or not that made sari leave that is the question there's no question that made sari leave and then put us in a situation where no manager wanted to come to chelsea and now the final mistake i think they've made is they've brought in frank lampard way too early as we've said he's only one season of management to try and fix a problem and now have kind of heaped a lot of pressure on by giving him a lot of signings which 
has now because he is unexperienced and they know he's unexperienced i think the problem is us fans we have emotion when lampard was being linked we were like yes bring him in bring him in we want we want matt lampard it's a dream come true but the board don't have that emotional side they shouldn't have that emotional side they should know and look at the facts is lampard going to do something long term which evidently clear it looks like it won't so the fact that lampard that the fact that the board have gone oh this is a long term project and then as soon as it starts getting a bit tough they're looking to possibly pull the brakes i think it's just a monumental failure of the board from 2017 to 2021. Um, what do you guys think of it? Do you think the board have got a massive blame for how Chelsea have been over the last four years? Like I said, we have been struggling for targets in the last four or five years. And not back in Conte was the first uh, major issue that I'd like to point out because the targets that he wanted differed greatly from the targets that he received. He wanted Lukaku and he got Lukaku at Inter and he is performing quite well. Not that I'm saying I would have loved Lukaku or am a fan of him but regardless, getting Morata in place of Lukaku wasn't the right move. Or getting uh, Emerson Palmieri in place of Alexandro. I mean, that was not required at all. And then we went ahead and bought Danny Drinkwater and David Isabacosta, all in the same transfer window. So saying the board is to blame is quite an understatement right now. But for me, I feel like it's not heightened as much as it should be right now because obviously... They've pulled the walls over their eyes when they've brought in the likes of Havertz, Werner. Like, oh yeah, we're suddenly starting to do things right. But no, you haven't. You've brought in a load of players, which yes, it's nice that you're spending money. But that's only coming from money that you got from Hazard in the first place. Hazard and Morata. Yeah, Hazard and Morata. So it's not like they've spent £250 of their own million pounds of their own money into it to back Lampard. They're just doing what they should in my opinion I think what we did in the summer was if you think about over two windows that's what we should have had it is a normal transfer window so of course it's wrong to say that the board have redeemed themselves in just one transfer window for all the mistakes that they have done in the past five so they have screwed us over quite a lot in the past few years and giving us all the targets that Lampard wanted in just one transfer window is not going to fix that. Yeah. Um, RJ, Ali, what do you think? I mean, that transfer window um, after we won the league um, really held us back in, in terms of our progress. Um, instead of signing uh, Conte's top targets, um, such as Alexandro and, and Van Dijk, um, and then leaving him with post- quite possibly the worst a uh, transfer window of all time um, with Zapacosta, Bakayoko, Morata, all those guys. I mean, Giroud's probably the only guy that we could say uh, was a successful transfer. Um, but even he came in, in the winter transfer window. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it was really frustrating for Conte 
and it really uh, pushed him out of the club. I mean, and we know how hard he is um, to, to satisfy, you know, as a, as a manager. Um, even even at Inter right now, he, he's getting the, the, the targets that he wants, the players that he wants, but he's still not, you know, like happy um, there. I mean, he's... Uh, he's had all the resources given to him at Inter. He's signed all the targets, and he's still complaining about it. So, um, yeah, and, and for Sari as well, I think his main target for goalkeeper was Allison, uh, and we've seen how great he is uh, with Liverpool. And instead, we got Kepa. Um, and it was a panic buy. I think it was like a couple of days before the window closed in the summer, and we just panicked and, and go him in and we've seen how that has has gone has gone on so far um they've they've made a big big mistake um or they've made big mistakes but i think they've redeemed themselves this this summer with all the signings we've had and, and i think right now we've we probably have the second strongest squad in the league in my opinion and, and lampard isn't getting the best out of the squad I mean, I'd argue they haven't redeemed themselves yet. And I think the sign-ins, I also think, obviously, this is looking in hindsight for, hindsight for me. So it's not completely accurate. But I would have rather have got a defensive midfielder than Havertz. Because I feel we still haven't addressed that proper spine. And we haven't addressed the sign-in of Nemanja Matic leaving since 2017. And yeah, I mean, I mean, of course we are missing a DM, but if you have the opportunity to sign Kai Havertz, one of the top youngsters in world football, and he's sought after by so many, so many top clubs, then then you go and get Kai Havertz, you know, no matter what it costs. I mean, we invested and, a lot in Buck with the DM and have been without a DM since then. But even Bakayoko, you couldn't. You, when you looked at how he played at Monaco, you wouldn't even class him as a proper DM like Matic was. So I think that was a wrong decision in the first place. Yeah, and yeah. coming on to the Kai Havertz thing, I think personally, I, I mean, you knew, you guys knew when we were first linked to him. I said I, I wasn't his biggest fan, and then he so played the, very well so after lockdown. Because we were the ones who were saying that not sure about Kai Havertz right now. Because we still haven't addressed everything defensively to go forwards again and try on Kai Havertz. That too, with that amount of money. Yeah, and when you look at you've signed Hakim Ziyech, who is a very creative player. I just, I just look at it and think we could have done without Kai Havertz, had Ziyech in that position, and then just um, spent. Even if we got, if even if it wasn't Declan Rice, forget De- Declan oh, Rice is just the main hard. target. Yeah, you've got OR, you've got Dennis Zakaria, I really like. If you put Dennis Zakaria in that position, for example, he's like 30 million. And then you could spend that 50 million on either another backup winger for Pulisic, Hudson Odoi, etc. You can spend that on, well, you could have spent that on another centre back. You could have spent that elsewhere on a goalkeeper. You, I just feel like the Havertz signing. You could argue that he is one for the future, but right now. Building the future isn't the primary focus, is fixing what the issues are. I mean, we don't want plaster over the cracks on the wall, but neither do we want uh, 
plaster that's too wet to even apply on the wall. Yeah, it's always a difficult one, isn't it? Like it's the beauty of hindsight, Matt. And I sort of, mm, I sort of tend to agree, actually, on the on the side of the Kai deal represented a long term snap up acquisition because here's a scenario: we got and we went and bought a Zakaria or a Declan Rice, and yet they sure they helped strengthen our defensive midfield issues but what happens if then Kai Havertz became this superstar and all of a sudden the narrative would be Chelsea missed out on a golden opportunity to sign a superstar for a short-term fix so I can definitely see how both sides of the story would play out and again that's just the beauty of hindsight because Havertz unfortunately isn't taking off as yet but coming back to the board and the shortcomings that they've had in recent seasons, I do think that they have gone some way to redeeming themselves, not fully yet, but I do genuinely believe that the money invested during this window is to try to help them overcome those failures because those, I was on a pod recently and one of these guests that I was speaking with said, do you think that, Lampard has been sold short because the players that they've invested in are all rising stars and not current superstars. And as a result, they are having difficulties adjusting to the Premier League. And I said, yeah, that, that, that obviously does have merit to it. But I also believe the board, at least on face value, is trying to invest for long-term sustainable success because we've had this managerial revolving door policy and you could argue that that's actually worked quite fine for us. We have a pretty decent return of trophies in our cabinet, regardless of how many managers we go through. But in recent years, the difference has been the level of competition has increased and that re revolving door policy is not going to be as effective as it once was, perhaps. So I think, in short, revolving door the board here... Yeah an end amount of managers to go through because once you run out of managers who do you go for next exactly i agree and that's why i think the board in terms of an investment point of view they have tried to make up for some of those pretty ordinary decisions putting it lightly but i agree with matt what you said earlier i was very nervous and cautious about them bringing in lampard because you could foreshadow that this kind of scenario was going to happen where arguably our best ever player was going to be thrown to the wolves when our results started to go belly up. And that was always going to happen and the pressure that comes with being in the Chelsea manager role. But I do think that part of their motivation for bringing him in was because they were about to enter that transfer ban year and they can just always hang Lampard out to dry if things went bad. And also, from a marketing point of view or a PR point of view, they're bringing back Frank Lampard. That will make fans happy during a potentially turbulent season. It just happened to be a bonus that he actually helped them achieve or over, overachieve during that year. And they probably just wanted to keep the narrative going. And that's why they gave him all this money to spend from the Hazard sale on the Murata sale. And Lampard, to his credit, was able to use his superstardom as a player to attract these long-term targets. So the board will probably turn around and say, 
yeah, we've made mistakes in the past, but bringing on Lampard has actually been a master masterstroke in the sense of he got us back to Champions League football, but also helped us secure Europe's top talents over the next five, ten years. So pat on the back to ourselves. Yeah, I think it was a it was a it was a definite great PR spin because they were there was a lot of pressure on Sari, but there was also a heavy pressure on Marina and even Roman to leave the club at that point. So then bringing Lampard in, it's t- I, I for me it t- it took the whole board sit argument completely away. No one realistically speaks about that anymore. It's just manager or players. Um, but before we yeah. go on to the Q&As, obviously Ali has to go right now. So thank you, Ali, for coming on. Many thanks, guys. Um, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yep, will do. Thanks, Ali. Great chat, mate. So moving on to the final topic of today. So we've got some questions from our fans that uh, want uh, we want to ask AJ, uh, RJ, sorry. Um, so the first question comes from CFC Aspi, who is a very good fan of ours. Uh, he asks, who is your favorite player past and present? Let me, let me just start off by saying that's a, a fantastic question, but a difficult one, obviously. I would say it has to be for me, Frank Lampard. I know that might be cliche. But my reasons for him being my favourite are for a few reasons. Firstly, we both played the same position. Obviously, he's a lot better than I was. We also wore the same jersey number, so I was always had a natural affinity and attraction to Frank and tried to study my game off him. And given, obviously, all the success and the sheer consistency over the golden years, for me, he was just always number one, regardless of Jogba scoring the most pivotal goals or Terry at the back being the commander he was. But for me, Frank was just always the the glue to hold us together. Even if he wasn't our actual captain, notwithstanding, he was captain of our biggest moment, arguably, in the Champions League final and the semi-final against Barcelona when Terry got sent off. That doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion. He was able to not only lay off the ball for Ramirez with that amazing goal, but also he led them. He got them in a room and inspired them to overcome a dominant Barcelona side without their captain. So I think to me that speaks volumes of his inherent leadership qualities. And last but not least, Frank Lampard and I share the same birthday. So these are all the reasons why, for me, he's my favourite Chelsea player of all time. Yeah, I think that's that's a great answer. Who would be your current best player? That's a great question. I'd say at the moment, um, my current best player at the moment, I would probably have to say, overall, I'm a big Kante fan. I've always just loved his his tenacity, his team-first mentality. And I just think on his day, he's, he's world-class. And I just think he's been such a humble servant to us. And despite the little bumps in the road and the few injuries he's had, I just feel like he's such a beacon of positivity and an inspiration for his teammates. Yeah, I, I think agree. I think Kante is a big favourite for a lot of people. 
Um, just before we go on to the next question, we're going to have to say goodbye to Arrow as well. So, Arrow, I hope you have a lovely day or slash evening for your time zone. Evening, bro. And thank you for having me on again. And it's been great to have you on, RJ. Thank you, Arrow. I really appreciated the chat and hope we can do it again sometime. Sure. I hope so too, bro. And hope we can keep writing those articles. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Right, so we'll get on to the next question. Uh, CFC Aspie has another question. He asks you, um, what is your, who are your short and long-term replacements if Lampard is sacked? Well, the inner optimist in me thinks that that's a mute point because that won't be happening. We're going to have Frank Lampard as long as Sir Alex Ferguson and we're going to create a dynasty. But... If that doesn't materialise, which I know is probably the more likely of the scenarios, the short-term manager replacement, it's a tough one, but I'm guessing he's thinking till the end of the season by short-term. I would probably go, as a short-term replacement, I'd probably go Nagelsmann. And I know we had that chat before in the pros and cons, but I do think he has some familiarity with the players and I think he's got a good knowledge of where where he's at in terms of his own coaching philosophy. And I just think based on who's available, etc., he probably represents the most sensible option. And in terms of the long term, it actually might be connected. So if he was to come in, deliver a pretty positive rest of season, then I see no reason not to extend his stay for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, I think Nagelsmann is the one that makes sense out of everyone. Um, there are other managers that I would also like to put in, but that would require, a, again, a change of philosophy, which for me, I don't really care how good the football is. I just care about the results. So I wouldn't mind uh, Diego Simeone coming in and we play counter-attack football because in a way it's still exciting but it's just different. But... Yeah, and I've always been a fan of that, Matt, as well. Like, even during the early Mourinho years and when Conte came, I think for the footballing purist, they will appreciate all aspects of football in the sense of we want our team to be performing together as a unit and ultimately getting the right results. And I think a lot of our early year success was built on having that solidarity and formidable defence and being very clinical when we did get the ball. And I don't think necessarily there's a problem with that, even though it's not necessarily, inverted comments, sexy football. So, yeah, I've never had an issue with counter-attacking football if it's done properly. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's one of them things. There's a lot of managers that could be considered for the jobs, but I just don't think there is. I think there's only a few that I would personally like to come into the club and there'd be many that I'd say would be again wrong decisions if the board made them Mm. so if we go on to the final question of the day from Alf10CFC great guy very good following again very positive like you it's good to have him on the uh, platform he asks what exactly is wrong with Lampard right now and why can't he leave this team to a title charge I think a lot of the issues Lampard is facing at the moment 
are somewhat external to himself in the sense that he's very much learning on the job and especially the big club dynamic of Chelsea. I, I believe that from an inherent knowledge tactical standpoint, we all know he's a pretty smart guy and he's been around a long time. And yes, being a player is different from being a manager. But I've seen enough of him to suggest that, especially last season, he was taking a lot more risks, calculated ones that is, and affecting positive changes as the games were warranted. You know, we've seen the occasions where we were playing three at the back or we made certain substitutions, which more often than not, I could recall from last season, were absolutely spot on. But I think, ironically, we've gotten better players on paper that perhaps he's feeling an extra sense of the, the team room dynamic or the locker room politics and trying to balance the big egos that have come in. And I think that just comes back to that lack of experience as a manager of a big club. So I think it's just he's very much learning on the job. And unfortunately, at a club like Chelsea, that's not a very great environment to be learning because you would really want to be seasoned by the time you've turned up. And that comes back to our earlier point of was he brought in too soon? Probably. So I just think hopefully the players can re-back or buy into what Lampard's spitting to them and they actually start to play with a little bull, a little bit more self-belief and a little bit of professionalism because I've always been of the viewpoint that winning or losing is based on a collective effort. The manager can have the best instructions, the best strategies, etc. But if the players don't go out there and deliver and have that inner desire to execute on that strategy, the manager's not going to be very effective. So I just hope that the players start to buy into his philosophy a little bit more. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it for me, it's just to, to answer that question myself. I think it's just, again, Lampard is learning on the job. And unfortunately, the environment we are in with COVID, it's something that not many managers know how to deal with anyway, let alone someone who hasn't got experience. So it's it's such a hard environment for him to learn in. I think that's why we can't get anywhere and I think that's one of the reasons why we can't lead this team to a title charge I also personally don't think certain players are good enough I think I was one of the people that um, was in October chanting saying we're going to win the league but I think this period of time has really shown that there's too many players that don't do enough on the pitch for me whether they've got qualities or not there's certain, especially in the midfield, there's too many players like Jorginho and Kovacic who, for me, don't offer enough on the pitch. As a, In their general game, they have good qualities to them, but they just don't offer enough. And when you have both of them on the pitch together, it just, I don't see how you can, that's why we, there's no wonder why our midfield has been overrun every single game when you've got players that do that. When you look at players like Conor Gallagher on loan, you look at Loftus-Cheek over the last few games, they've been much more influential and I feel they could be people we could bring back in and move these players on yeah. and we wouldn't have to spend a penny. Yeah, it's actually really good, isn't it, that you've brought up these players that don't get as much airtime or notice because they're not in our 
squad at the moment, but I do agree that that's a that's a very smart shout that they could possibly come back in and shake things up a little bit. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of players that are currently out impressing on loan. I think that's one thing that does make me a bit more happier. You've got whether it's up front, you've got Amado Brozier doing very well at Vitesse. At the back, you've got Gway doing very well at Swansea. Yes. Then you've got well, Gallagher. Um, you've got Loftus Cheek. Even, Even Barkley Ampadu to a spent. Pretty well. Yeah, Ampadu's one for me. I like him, but I just don't know where he fits in. I think he's he's kind of he reminds me of Nathan Ake in a way. Whereas Ake, you didn't know whether he was a centre back, you didn't know whether he was a left back. He got moved on, and then it took him a lot of time to find himself eventually at Bournemouth. So I think it's it could be one of them things where we don't give Ampadu the time, and then when he gets to about twenty seven, twenty eight, he'll move to a club like Manchester City and do very well. I think personally for yeah, Ampadu, it could, yeah, you're agreed. Yeah, I think, I think he's a very a good, he's a very good back. Yeah, he's a very good back three defe- defender in a back three. But if we're not playing a back three, I don't think he can sit in a back two. Mm, yeah, interesting. But I think yeah, stretching back to that broader point, at least we have some good options of players out out on loan that could come back in and maybe offer us a little bit of that extra quality that our current players aren't offering, unfortunately. Yeah, and that will bring us to the end of the podcast for today. It's been a very good episode and I'm honoured to have you on. Um, So just in the last few minutes, if you could tell our fans where they can find you on Twitter. Thank you very much, man. I just want to say before I give out some of my information that it's been a real pleasure for me and as we said at the start we've been looking forward to this opportunity now and happy to have been part of a great discussion and hopefully back for another one in a not too distant future in terms of where you can find me and my tweets etc so my handle is capital rj the letters rj underscore good things i also am a writer and editor for chelsea fan site the Chelsea Social. I also am a co-host on Chelsea Pod, the Balanced Blues Brothers, and they're a great bunch of guys there where we do offer some tactical insights and discussions regarding our performances, among other things. And also, out of interest for those listening, I've just recently started a pod with a couple of local friends here in Sydney, and they're from rival clubs Manchester United and Arsenal and I obviously represent Chelsea and the podcast is called It's a Football Thing and we just recorded our first episode last week so if you're interested in listening to a discussion from rival PL friends talking about all things Premier League not just those three clubs I'd encourage you to check us out so thanks for that Matt. No worries I think Ballots Blue podcast is a I would agree. I've watched it and it's a very good podcast. Great bunch of guys, different qualities, and it's very good discussion. I have still yet to watch uh, the It's a Thing, It's a Football Thing podcast, but that is on my list to watch in the next coming days. So hopefully both of them podcasts can grow together. I think you're doing a Thank lot of great much. things on the platform. I appreciate that, man. Genuinely, my friend. So we'll sign off here, episode 47 of the Worldwide Chelsea podcast. We'll see you soon and hope.